Welcome to The Big Cheese Show, your destination for fantasy sports domination. Now, here's your host, Chris The Big Chee Cheon. Welcome, everybody, to The Big Cheese Show on WTOP8 Fantasy Sports and Gambling Experience. And we talk some wrestling, too. John Daigle and I are going to do that at the very end. So if you're tuning in for the wrestling talk, we're going to get there because there is not a guy that is more in tune to both football and wrestling. I don't know how he does it up there. John Daigle from Roto World NBC. John, I was listening to your show you do on Roto Grinders. It is the Pick 6 show. I want to talk about a guy that you guys sort of focused on here, and that was Calvin Ridley. You called him a tournament play. He's got a terrific matchup against not-so-great corners. He's got a quarterback who throws 300 yards a game, but... I was pretty much overweight on him in DraftKings last week. Disappointing. I think he'll get lower ownership because of the recency bias. But in season long, if you're in a 12-team league and you're looking at guys like Allen Robinson ahead of him or Marquise Brown, would you play a guy like Calvin Ridley with any sort of confidence this week? So, yeah, I do that Roto-Grinder show pick six on Wednesday nights, and it's just a good chance to continue promoting the Roto-World brand. Uh, because, you know, I do Roto World, a Roto World football podcast, the Sunday show on noon Eastern on NBC Sports and Twitch. And we discussed Calvin Ridley. However, as you said, I still actually rank uh, Allen Robinson, even with Chase Daniel under center and Marquise Brown, who still led the team. It was only 41 air yards last week, week but he still led the team with that amount. And the week prior, just absolutely crushed. I think 147 uh, in week four and week three. Um, so I go right back to the well and Marquise Brown and what should be a bounce back spot for the Ravens offense. Yes, they just destroyed uh, Cincinnati. But as we know, Cincinnati's offensive line is terrible. And Andy Dalton, just uh, just a bad situation all around. Uh, bad in primetime games. Historically bad in division games. Historically bad um, uh, on the road as well. It was just it was just all around terrible. So, having said that, where do I slot Kevin really now? It's the difference between separating DFS and season long. So, I do think Calvin really is in a terrific, terrific spot. But knowing there's still a concerning floor there, I don't go to Calvin Ridley in your season long um, as high as I would Robinson and Brown. Calvin Ridley's still in a great spot against this shoddy Texan secondary. Um, Calvin Ridley, as we know, we go back to him in DFS because recency bias and a lower ownership is what we're expecting allows us to get taken advantage over the field. So everyone confidently goes to Julio Jones. I think it's a great spot to jump on Ridley in what should be touchdown regression for him. Uh, two touchdowns the first game, week two, uh, 10 targets as well. And then now, no touchdowns the past two games. Everyone concerned. I wouldn't be concerned. All right. Yeah, I'm trying not to be, John, but I'm considering playing a guy. I've got DJ Chark ahead of Calvin Ridley in my rankings in PPR. Just one spot. Do you agree with that? Would you play, if you added Chark on the waiver wire, you watched him last week against Denver, would you fire up a guy like Chark against Carolina, whose secondary looks, and Bradbury's back there as well. I'd imagine he'll be shadowing Chark, so that could diminish his potential fantasy value here. How do you see the Jacksonville passing situation going this week, and would you play a guy like Chark over Ridley? Yeah, we need to wait and see what happens with Gardner Minshew. Uh, He is questionable heading into this game. He's been limited. I do think he plays, though. And if he does play, then I have zero fear in going to Shark. Shark, his second-year development 
um, along with Cortland Sutton's, has been the two most impressive developments I've seen in quite some time. Shark is not only leading his team in air yards, is not only a posting a, a near a 77% catch rate after only catching just over 40% of the balls thrown his way last year. He's holding up that catch rate on a high amount of downfield targets for the Jags. We thought he was going to be D.D. Westbrook cashing in from the slot, but it's actually been Shark. And uh, he has a trusted rapport with Minshew. And number uh, number three overall, not just among second-year players or, or rookies or all the crop, all of receivers, he's number three in yards per route run so far, uh, which is a predictive pro football focus metric that we can use that highlights talent. And uh, Shark has just been outstanding. And so uh, I go right back to him. Arizona Cardinals, I want to talk about that situation here, John. Are you kind of thinking to yourself, is it too early to say Cliff Kingsbury in this offense is not going to be successful? Or do you think Kyler Murray kind of needs to grow into his role? Because you pointed out on the show, he's just not really getting the ball downfield like we would expect, right? So what do you think about Arizona moving forward? No Christian Kirk, and I saw you talking about Keyshawn Johnson. The numbers there don't suggest he's going to be anything special. Andy Isabella, they're like not playing him correctly. I just don't know what to do with Arizona. It's not just that Kyler Murray isn't going downfield. The fact is, Kingsbury's not making adjustments, and that's what's worrisome. Um, we'll have another game to see what happens here in, a good, in what should be a good spot against the Bengals. But the past two games, the defenses they have faced noticed in their first two contests, all they did was utilize Christian Kirk and Larry Fitzgerald in the slot and go deep to those guys on vertical routes from the slot. And after adjusting, now we've seen Kyler Murray's yards per attempt dip below five in both contests. And thus, they're, it makes sense logically, right? Because they're just taking what the defense is giving them now. They're dumping underneath and just hoping on Yak. But hope is not a strategy. It's Billy Bean taught us so long ago. And so it does, it, it has helped David Johnson. And this explains why he's received, I think it's 9 and 11 targets the past two games. Because they're depending on him to be explosive in the middle of the field and make magic happen. Um, so you can continue going back to David Johnson as a stout cash game play in, D in DFS and in season long and PPR leads, especially without any hesitation. But this offense as a whole, it is concerning um, because it's become as our friend Rich Rebar has coined the horizontal raid, not the air raid. And if adjustments aren't made quickly, then it's concerning. And uh, it's almost just a reason to get off this offense because Christian Kirk, they've been very mum about this situation he is listed as doubtful. He hasn't practiced, but they didn't go into it any further. It almost seems like a an undoubtable multi-week absence. And if that's the case, I mentioned Keyshawn Johnson, but it's a coin toss, honestly. Uh, I, I wouldn't even be able to give you an educated guess on who prospers, if anyone, outside of Fitzgerald, because they're going to run a kick returner, Farrell Cooper, in the slot, who they just signed Tuesday and already dubbed starter. And then they're going to put Keyshawn Johnson on the outside, and uh, we'll see what happens with Andy Isabella, who is the highest, the number 62 overall pick, the highest of the three rookies they drafted. But it's almost like they don't want to play him. So there's something going on behind the scenes there. And he was their most explosive rookie they drafted. So it's all honestly just a giant question mark and a looming concern. Yeah, I know Matt Mano, I'm not even going to pronounce uh 
begin to try to pronounce his last name, Matt Manocharian from SIS Sports Info Solution. I just call him Mano, yeah. Mano, he was raving about Isabella in college and his metrics there. Let's look at the other side of the football here now. The Cincinnati Bengals, you watch that Monday night game, they can't protect. So it makes me worrisome. I've got Tyler Boyd ranked as my wide receiver 13 in PPR coming into this week, basically based on the matchup. But I... Everything points right for Cincinnati to get right offensively. I mean, they're 0-4. I just don't feel any confidence playing these guys in DFS. If I am a Tyler Boyd owner, I'm playing him in season long. But outside of that, you're playing Joe Mixon. But there's nothing to be excited about, for me at least, even in this nice matchup. What do you say? Yeah, and even Joe Mixon, uh, it's a shame. Because last year, he touted over 70% of the snaps. um, And he was their bell cow workhorse. And now this season, I believe he's around 56% of their snaps just in in passing game timeshares with Bernard, which just sucks usage out of both as opposed to propelling one or the other. So it's a bad situation in their backfield. Uh, Yes, they cannot protect. It is very obvious. But my concern for this Bengals offense is the loss of John Ross. Uh, John Ross, as we know, came out of college running an absurd 4-2-2-40, which nailed him as a first-round pick, his speed alone. But... Without him now, you look at their starting three wide receiver set, and it's undrafted free agent Damian Willis, who ran a 4-5-6 out of college. It is slot receiver Tyler Boyd, who ran a 4-5-8 out of college. And then it is Auden Tate, a seventh-round pick, who ran a 4-6-8, I believe. So they don't have speed, honestly, on the outside anymore. And, and Tyler Eifer is a good red zone presence when healthy, but it's not like he's elite at that uh, skill level either uh, in speed-wise. So I just don't know what happens to this offense without an over-the-top threat. And I'm genuinely scared, despite uh, still having faith in Tyler Boyd and thinking Auden Tate in particular is a good cash play at his next-to-stone minimum value this week uh, in DFS, I'm genuinely scared this offense only plummets further. Matchups can be great, but it's just a matter of if you're not performing efficiently. And that's my concern with Houston, too, to go back to them here, John. I mean, I watched them against Carolina getting absolutely torched on their offensive line. Do you believe that's more of an anomaly, or can we look to guys again like Will Fuller and Kiki Cutie? You mentioned that you're going to think that people in DFS are going to go down to Fuller and Cutie, right? But that they're going to avoid DeAndre Hopkins because of his price. If you're building your lineup, John, your first lineup in DFS and you're picking one of these pass catchers on Houston, would you rather go with the value or would you rather differentiate, get away from the field and get Hopkins? I mean, it's why I love DFS. I love playing against people's brains as opposed to the machine. We all have models that we use um, wherever you go. And we all have numbers and we can look at pro football focus and pro football reference or whatever we do. But those numbers won't tell us that DeAndre Hopkins has the highest salary of any receiver on both DraftKings and FanDuel. And he, he will still be attacked. Don't get me wrong. Like People are still going to roster him. I genuinely think, though, it's going to be the lowest, lowest ownership he'll have in DFS all year just because of his price and the results he's posted the past few weeks. Uh, especially when you can go Will Fuller, everyone's so confident. And, and by the way, I'm confident too. I'll have a lot of Will Fuller, perhaps even in cash games. Um, but everyone's so confident that this is the week Will Fuller finally gets on track after leading the team in air yards. And 
it's the fact that we we've said that the past four weeks, what makes it any different? Like last week's matchup against the Panthers without Dante Jackson was honestly even better because the Panthers were down to Ross Cockrell and their third and fourth corner and Will Fuller. Yes, he was fingertips away from the cat from a catch from a big touchdown. But the fact is, he didn't answer in a better matchup either. So when everyone flocks one way, as we know, the way you win in DFS is to uh, not be a sheep, but go the other way. And zagging to Hopkins over Fuller, I genuinely think Hopkins will have a much lower ownership, so much so that it impacts your decision um, and helps you win to go him over Fuller. Speaking of John Daigle here of Roto World, I want to know about Sonny Michelle. He's coming here to Washington. Sports Info Solution, as I mentioned, Heath Cummings tweeting this out a couple days ago. Sonny Michelle's broken tackle percentage is zero, as in he has not broken a tackle this season. If you were ever going to get right, it is against the Redskins, not because their defense is so bad. I think that talent-wise, if you if you split it in half, I think they're on the top half of the league as far as actual talent on that defensive side, and they can stop the run too. It's just they've just been put in impossible situations. They are on the field too long. Their offense can't get going. Um, Sonny Michelle, is this a week where you would say, all right, you'd expect the Patriots to go up. He's going to get some work. Is Sonny Michelle somebody you're looking at DFS season long? I just think you cannot qualify Sonny Michelle as anything more than boomer bust and lean bust in every game moving forward. He's had opportunities against the Dolphins. He's had opportunities against the Reds, uh, against uh, the Jets. I mean, it's not like game script hasn't worked in their favor so far. Game script has been in favor of Sonny Michelle, and yet he hasn't broken a tackle. And yet he can't catch passes. They're not even using him in the passing game, honestly. So we don't even know if he can catch passes. But the fact is, that injury, that uh, injured reserve stint for James Devlin that happened before the Buffalo game was so incredibly underrated because prior to that, New England's main offensive base personnel was 21. So for those listening that don't know, uh, you count from the back, two running backs, one tight end, that's 21 personnel, and thus it places two wide receivers in the field for an 11-man unit. Um, but without James Devlin to be that second running back, that fullback to lead for Michelle – they had to move to 11 personnel, which is three wide receivers in the field. Julian Edelman, Philip Dorsett, and Josh Gordon. Um, you can't attack the Bills through three wide receivers, and they know that. That's, what, that's why Brady uh, suffered so much. But they still played a 20% more 11 personnel than their season rate coming into that game. And now James Devlin's still out, perhaps the season, perhaps the next seven weeks, whatever the case. They have no choice but to go back to 11 personnel. And 11 personnel does not lend itself well to Michelle's skill set, whatever that may be. So last week, Rex Burkhead came in limited, and he was truly limited, um, hence why he wasn't used that much. If Rex Burke has recovered at all, and we're going to still need to continue reading the tea leaves leading into that game, then I, I think it honestly just takes Michelle off the field, and it becomes a Rex Burkhead and James White game. And perhaps Rex Burkhead and James White season over Michelle the rest of the way. So uh, I'm selling Michelle, even though you can't get much on the dollar at all for him right now. And I genuinely, I, I personally just don't have any interest in playing him. All right, John, absolutely great information as I knew you would bring it. And I mentioned at the beginning of the show here that I did not watch a ton of the AEW stuff on Wednesday night, being that I was very engulfed in the Rays A's game, but I did catch the last 10, 15 minutes and 
I mean, there was anarchy in the ring. I saw Moxley coming in, attacking, and then they spilled out into the crowd. And you had Cody getting beat up. I liked that. They're presenting it as he is like the face of the company, right? And he's laying there getting beat up at the end. I kind of liked that heel angle that Jericho's coming from. What was your take of AEW night one? On TV, at least. The uh, the American Nightmare is such a good gimmick, man. That's that's such an amazing character. But no, uh, AEW held their own. That was such a fun show. I know we we all want it to be the Monday Night or the Wednesday Night Wars, but like I don't know why we just can't enjoy both. It is such a good time to be a wrestling fan. It is like even storylines now. The fact that WWE is dabbling with such a large company in Fox is forcing their hand to give up on stale storylines and lazy storytelling. Um, It's so good for all of us who enjoy it. And last night, it's 2019. I never thought I'd pop for Jack Swagger ever again. Me either. And and then he came in the ring. And just because, like, these the indie guys and whatnot. Now, don't get me wrong. Jack, uh, Jack Hager is a big dude, and he's uh, now undefeated in MMA. Uh, he's very in shape. He's so fit. He was also green when he wrestled uh, as Jack Swagger in the WWE. But, I mean, he is so much bigger than this new uh, group that they have created. They have now formed a four-man stable, and as we know, WCW, WWE at their heights had the stables between DX and the Money Night Wars versus the NWO. And so now they've created a stable, honestly. So they have that. They have a stable of heels uh, going over these loving characters and Kenny Omega and the American Nightmare Cody. Um, it's just a lot of fun, genuinely. And I, I love the fact that they actually separated Omega from the, the group of founders, basically, the Young Bucks and Cody. And they have Moxley, my personal favorite, uh, now competing and feuding with Omega on the side. Like, they separated themselves from the stable group. That way they can have their own bout. They can get to a hardcore match at, at the next one. I think it's Full Gear, November 9th, I believe. Um, so they can go to Full Gear as a one-on-one competition only between them as opposed to getting sucked into this stable bout. It's just a lot of fun. Yeah, Full Gear is the pay-per-view in Baltimore. And I, when I was talking to Cody and Brandy, and they had mentioned that the Washington, D.C., Baltimore area is a hotbed for wrestling, the numbers and the data pointed them to have those two pay-per-views in this area. And I also spoke this week with Adam Cole of NXT, and he is the champion at the moment. They're going head-to-head, NXT and AEW, and I did not actually check any of the NXT out, but when I asked him, you know, you're about to explode, man. You're about to go to the next level. What does that feel like? And he basically said, I'm about to explode in NXT. I'm not looking to go up to WWE. Now, that could just be he's saying that and trying to promote NXT here. But I'm curious if you caught any of that action or if you've been watching NXT and do you think that these two are going to go head to head and they're both have distinctions or or is there one better than the other? Um, So let me ask you, did you actually watch it? Like, have you heard anything about this? No, I have not watched any of the NXT yet. Uh, Okay. I, I, man, I don't want to spoil anything for you, but. Were you entertained? You don't have to spoil it for anybody out there, but like, were you wildly entertained? I don't want to spoil this because everyone needs to go watch it. But if you told me to rank them, and I, I don't want to rank them because I enjoyed both. Both were so much fun. But NXT took night one. And I think NXT took night one by a lot, actually. There were two 
big comebacks that were ju- that just had the entire full sale arena going insane. Like I could not believe what happened. Um, the matches were on par as they always are for NXT. Storytelling again on par. Io Shirai is just a superstar. Like the char- the heel turn and the character change since that last takeover with her has been absolutely amazing. And I'm still waiting for iTunes to already throw her uh, theme song on top uh, on mm-hmm. actual uh, music so I can buy it because it's just a banger. Like she's amazing. So no, NXT was hands down such an enjoyment last night. John, such an enjoyment speaking to you here today. And I'll see you in Nashville, hopefully in Baltimore in a month, but if not, definitely in Nashville in a couple months. Thanks for joining the Big She Show. Appreciate it, bro. Thanks, Chi. You know I love you, bro. Thanks for joining us today on the Big Cheese Show. We're going to now do Cheese 3. I've only picked three NFL games so far this season. I've wanted to see how they've played out. Now it's time to go on a hot streak. My first pick is going to be the under between Arizona and Cincinnati. As you heard John and I talk about some of the offensive inefficiencies of both these teams. Give me the under 47. Secondly, we're going to go over 46 and a half in the Monday night game between the 49ers and the Cleveland Browns. Finally, the Dallas Cowboys will cover minus three and a half at home against the Green Bay Packers. So there you have it. Under in the Cardinals Bengals game, over in the Browns 49ers game, and the Dallas Cowboys minus three and a half. Music in this episode is by Evening Land. It's called Rev. It's available in the YouTube audio library. Let's dominate in week five. <laughs> <laughs>